Welcome to the Gamer's Tavern. Before I start talking about this episode, I'd like to remind you that our contest is still running until March 10th, so there's still time to get your entries in. Also, be sure to check out the Gamer's Tavern Game Table, our actual play podcast of Shadowrun, with new episodes every Monday. Okay, in this episode, we talk about very mature subject material, specifically graphic content in gaming. Warning. This episode contains discussions and descriptions of violence, torture, and gore in the context of a role-playing game. If these topics upset or offend you, please do not listen to this episode of The Gamer's Tavern. I'm not kidding. We go full Eli Roth in this episode, and comparisons to The Human Centipede come up fast. This episode, above and beyond any other we've done, is for mature audiences only. I also want to make it clear, the opinions expressed on the Gamer's Tavern do not necessarily reflect that of Gamer's Tavern, the hosts, any other guests, any company or organization affiliated with them, any sponsors, or possibly even the speaker themselves. These discussions are also solely about using graphic content as a tool in gaming. A future episode of the show will focus solely on the sociological and cultural impact of the subject matter as it deserves, at the very least, a full episode to even scratch the surface. So with that said, grab a drink from the bar and take a seat at the table in the corner, and we'll be right back after this word from our sponsor. Hi, this is Rich. And Amanda. For Animation Celebration. We have a great show going on March 28th through the 30th at the Hilton Garden Inn in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Come meet Kevin Conroy, the voice of Batman, and Steve Cardenas, the Red Power Ranger. We have exclusive VIP ticket for dinner with Kevin Conroy. Come meet your favorite voice actor in person. We have a lot of other great guests coming, like Matt Hill, Raphael from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and Big Ed from Ed, Ed, and Eddie. We've got actors from everything from Disney shows to My Little Pony. Check out the area Ghostbusters and more. Tickets are available online right now at www.animation-celebration.com. We even have a Big Lebowski night. We look forward to seeing you all there. Gamers Tavern's listenership has exploded in 2014, and we want to reward you, our loyal listeners, by holding a contest. We've got a winner-take-all bundle of amazing games, and to top it all off, an iPod shuffle preloaded with the latest episodes of the Gamers Tavern. So, what other games do you get? How about a signed copy of Accursed, the dark fantasy Savage Worlds campaign setting where you play the monsters fighting against the witches who cursed you, provided by Meliorvia. A signed copy of Tefra, the steampunk fantasy role-playing game of high adventure set in an alternate world, provided by Cracked Monocle. A signed copy of Dementalism, a card game from the twisted and strange world of Lowlife, provided by Mother Oith Creations. And a signed copy of Better Angels, a game of demonic comic book supervillainry provided by Arc Dream Publications. And you also get one free admission to Con on the Cob, a celebration of game, art, freaks, and fun in Hudson, Ohio from October 16th through the 19th with the purchase of one adult admission. In order to secure your chance to win this amazing prize package, send an email to contest at gamerstavern.org with the subject line, Mac Sinton. Include your name, mailing address, and one suggestion for how you would make the Gamers Tavern podcast even better. 
Once again, that email address is contest at gamerstavern.org with the subject line, Mac sent me. Sorry, but this contest is for U.S. residents only. Full contest rules are available at gamerstavern.org slash contest. Get your entry in by midnight central time on March 10th, 2014 for your chance to win it all. Hello and welcome to episode 21 of the Gamers Tavern. I'm Ross Watson, your host. And I'm Daryl Mott Jr. And tonight we are very blessed to have with us uh, two people I, I definitely respect in the gaming industry. One who I have gamed with on multiple occasions and one who I have played using his books on multiple occasions. Robert J. Schwab. Hey there. And Bill Keys. Hello. We want to, first we want to say thanks you guys for coming on the show. Uh, it's really great to have you with us tonight. Our topic is going to be something a little more controversial. It's going to be about graphic content. As you, our listeners probably know from the big giant disclaimer that was at the start of the episode. Uh, yeah, Daryl thoughtfully recorded it in a disclaimer for us. So for our listeners, we really should tell them a little more about who you guys are. And I think I'll start with Bill, if you don't mind. Could you tell us what your gaming character sheet is like? Well, pretty much all my stats are maxed out. Especially <laughs> <laughs> <and> charisma. <laughs> Always a good start. No, um, well, I've been gaming for since like 1980, when I was 10 years old. Uh, got started with the old uh, hardbacks, the old D&D, AD&D hardbacks. Been gaming ever since. Pretty much alternating between whatever version of D&D is out at the time and uh, the hero system, with a whole lot of detours in between. Now, you also have had made your way into the professional side of gaming as well, right? Yes, I have been layout designer and art director for both Hero Games and Blackworm Games. And I also wrote a book called The Widening Gyre for the Hero System, and soon to be coming out for uh, Savage Worlds, which I'm very excited about. It is a steampunk, fantasy steampunk game. I was kind of hoping it was a Robert B. Parker (laughs) tie-in. I'm a proud owner of this book, and uh, I I will recommend it to many people who like steampunk. Well, uh, thanks, Bill. So if we want to find you on the internet, where where do we look? Well, come to my Facebook page, which is uh, To Evil Bunny. And somebody's going to have to spell that out because it's not spelled anything resembling English. It's T-E-H-E-B-I-L-B-U-N-N-E-H. That's me online. And uh, for anybody else who's interested, if you go to my blog, I have an interview with Bill where we go over a lot of things, including the whole bunny thing. So (laughs) there's that. Now – Having saved Rob for for last, uh, mostly because his resume is just so incredibly huge with all these awesome books in it, Robert, can you tell us about your gaming character sheet? Well, it says Chaotic Evil on the top, and uh, (laughs) I totally made up all my scores with whatever I wanted. I used a D30 plus 30. Uh, so yeah, uh, my name is Robert J. Schwab. I'm a game designer and sometime developer, one-time novelist. And uh, wannabe nude dancer, uh, and uh, borderline alcoholic. So that's pretty much my resume. Uh, currently, I work uh, as a contract designer for Wizards of the Coast, and I've been working uh, on D and D Next for the last seems like forever. Where I pretty much have been doing right now, you've probably seen my stuff in a Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay Second Edition, uh, Fourth Edition products, D and D products, uh, Third Edition D and D products. Uh, lots of stuff for Green Running Publishing, including A Song of Ice and Fire role-playing, uh, Thieves World, Black Company, 
uh, the Grim for Grim game from uh, Fantasy Flight, and uh, I even worked on some Midnight books. So I've been all over the place. Uh, actually, Rob also worked on Dark Heresy before I got my hands on it, which is uh, really interesting. It's always fun to have another Battle Brother amongst us. <laughs> Yeah, I was a, I, I was kind of a, a loose consultant on that project. Uh, I, Kate Flack and Owen Barnes did the work, and I kind of uh, looked over their stuff and kind of poked and prodded and tried to encourage them to go in a certain direction. Sometimes I succeeded, other times I failed, as you know, <laughs> a developer does. And uh, <laughs> and that's uh, and that was pretty much the end of that. I did get I did do a little work on some, I think one of the support books for it, maybe two, and um, but it was a fun project to work on. Uh, Inquisitor's Handbook uh, is one of the ones you worked on. That's right. That's right. It's such a huge. Do you happen to recall anything about working on Inquisitor's Handbook? Or I'm just curious. Uh, uh, only like in the vaguest, loosest ways. I just remember that was a period of great fear and loathing for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I I think we could probably take up most of the podcast just discussing Robert's extensive line of books that he's worked on. I, I'm just going to pick out a few. And say it's really great to have someone who's worked on both Wifrup and Sifrup at the same time. Yes, those being Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay and Song of Ice and Fire Roleplay. And I, I must say, Rob, that Song of Ice and Fire Roleplay I found to be uh, a very interesting design. I really like the way that the uh, the whole hit points thing worked, the way you, you you did with that, and the whole house design, the way you designed your house, and the interactions oh, of your domain management, if you will. Yeah, it, the 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 main push for that product was in order was to try to bypass the group of adventurers kind of concept that kind of underlies most fantasy role playing games and provide kind of a right a ready neat little package that would allow players to kind of come together and quickly get into the story. And so the house creation system was supposed to be the first way, one of many different ways of producing, you know, helping players uh, generate their stories by giving you kind of this construct that all the other characters plug into in kind of neat and interesting ways. Yeah, but thanks. That was a, it was a fun project to work on. It's a long time ago when I worked on that. So, all right. <laughs> and between song of ice and fire thieves world and the Warhammer 40 K, you can kind of see why we got Rob involved on the graphic content episode. Yeah. yeah. I, I think it's fair to say he's probably had to deal with that at least once or twice, but we will get into that in a moment because uh, the next section we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about what we've been playing lately. And uh, I'm going to start with Daryl. Daryl, what have you been playing lately? I've been playing, yay! I've actually played a game. So many episodes, <laughs> so many episodes. I was like, okay, I'm in the planning stages of... But no, many of you probably have already at this point in time heard uh, the live play podcast of Shadowrun 4th Edition that we started uh, with me and Ross and our Game Master Brandon online. And uh, yeah, it's been a blast. And I'm looking forward to more of it. So yeah, definitely check that out if you're interested in hearing us uh, kind of screw around in the world of Shadowrun. Um, now, what about you, Robert? What have you been playing lately? Uh, let's see. I've been... Uh playing around with some D&D next. Shocking. Uh, <laughs> I've been fussing around with some other stuff that I can't really talk about. Uh, but I can tell you I have also been playing uh, Numenera, which is an interesting game by Monty Cook. I don't know if you've heard of him. Uh, <laughs> let's see. And uh, Sounds familiar. But pretty much when I'm playing the game, I mean, I'm not you know running games or doing D&D and stuff like that. I've been digging deep into uh, Guild Wars 2. That is my oh. kryptonite. I love that game. I'm a dirty yeah, slut for Guild Wars 2. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
there's a lot of people out there who say it's an excellent, excellent game. Uh, I think Angry Joe gave it his highest uh, 10 out of 10 re- uh, review. So, yeah, heard a lot of good things about it. Yeah, and uh, Jeff Grubb does the uh, story. He's one of the, the lead or one of the leads story guys right. for that game. And, you know, Jeff Grubb, come on. Well, well he's he the guy behind some of my favorite games, like uh, sorry, Marvel Super Heroes, the TSR edition. Yes, sir. And he also wrote Azure Bonds, which was one of the first Forgotten Realms novels, kind of fleshing out that world. And he also wrote the Manual of the Plains. That's right. My very the favorite. original Manual of the Plains. Yeah, my very favorite second edition D and D book. Fantastic so, book. So heck of a pedigree on that game. Mm-hmm. All right. So Bill, what have you been playing lately? Well, uh, for the last month, I've been uh, getting ready for Genghis Khan. So I've been play testing some stuff, but. Um, uh, right now, as you know, Ross, I'm getting ready to run an Avengers, an online Avengers game. Yes, I am so excited about that. <laughs> yeah, it's I practically had to beg Bill on my hands and knees, begged him to run a game on Skype because he's such a great GM at Genghis Khan every year. And uh, I got to be honest with you, I've been trying for three years to find a champions group here in Austin, Texas. You would think Austin, Texas would have champions gamers. Not so much. So Bill was kind enough to uh, – well, why don't you tell us, tell the listeners what you're planning to do? Well, the plan is to uh, – and, and I'm going to say, Ross, that you are – the reason that I'm running this is because you kept begging me on, my, on your hands and knees. <laughs> and you were just stop pays off. about it. And so I finally just said, you know what? I'm, I'm going to run it just for Ross. <laughs> <laughs> so no pressure on you or anything. Right, But, right. Uh, yeah, the, the concept of the game is that uh, the – the Marvel Universe, uh, from the time when I was really into Marvel Comics, was kind of the early to mid-80s, kind of the golden gym shooter age is, is how I consider it. And uh, the concept is is that about 30 years after that time period, most of the stuff that has happened in between in the real Marvel Universe hasn't really happened, um, because I'm not such a big fan of what's going on today. But the children of the, the Avengers, uh, Iron Man's children, Captain America... Thor, and so on, have teamed up again, once again, to stop threats that no single hero could deal with by themselves. And so the characters are the, the children of previous heroes. Ross is going to be this playing... This start up in March, right? Starting up in March, yeah. Early March. And uh, Ross is going to be the daughter of Fandral the Dashing from the Warriors 3, which is going to be... And the Valkyrie. And a, and a Valkyrie. And another player is going to be playing the son of Volstagg, so we're going to have the the new Warriors two going on in this game, which is going to be kind of kind of cool for me. Oh uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, we'll have to tell everybody more about it when we get to that in March because this will air. Daryl, when will this episode be airing? Late February. Uh, yeah, I believe it will be airing on the 28th. Yeah. All right. Uh, so the the very next thing before we jump into the, our main topic, we have one last thing. We uh, we've started recently doing. Just just last episode, started recently doing a, a special thing, which is our Tavern Tales. And the Tavern Tales is we want to find out from our guests what was their most memorable die roll. And uh, I want to ask Robert first if he can tell us a story about his most memorable die roll. So my story, I did not actually roll the die, but the scene was so wonderful and it is stuck in my head. So I was at Origins. I was a guest of honor a couple of years ago. That was part of the upgraded play experience. Is one of the things that Origins does for their guests. They want their guests to be playing games with the other people, the other people who show, come to the show. 
And so what they do is they go in and they scoop up a, a group of gamers and they pull them over to a special room and they provide drinks and food and they, they get to play with creators and do stuff like that. So it was a lot of fun. So we're there and I, I've got, there's a game master, uh, I, I think his name, I think it was Dustin who was running it. And we had this, this kid. He had this frizzy red hair and he had these really thick glasses on and he had a, kind of a ball cap. Maybe it was a NASCAR cap or something. Really skinny and kind of, you know, just a, he was just a, a, a gamer, right? And so we're sitting there and we're playing and he's having a good time. We're all having a good time. We're playing uh, an early draft of D&D Next. And at one point, this shocking grasp was, uh, was the spell he was going to cast and we were fighting this bad guy. And so he says in a very shrill voice and he's kind of trembling with excitement that he slides across the floor, slides between the guy's legs, and ball slaps him with shocking grasp. <laughs> and so, and so the, the game master, who was a good sport, said, all right, just just roll, but I'm going to give you disadvantage because this is just crazy. And he rolls a natural 20. And nice. so he hits. And so he he shocks this guy, and it incinerates the poor dude, and it was amazing. We all howled with laughter. That was my that was my bright spot of, of that show. So there's my Oh, story. that's a... Uh... That's very memorable. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Ball slapping with shocking grasp. Love wow. <laughs> nice. All right. What about you, Bill? Would you have a, a, a memorable die rolling story? Well, sadly, it doesn't involve ball slapping anyone with shocking grasp because that's pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's a hard act to follow, isn't it? It is. <laughs> the one that comes to my mind is uh, we were playing Star Wars Die 6 version many years ago. An excellent version. I was playing a tank commander who did not have a tank, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> and he had been trying the whole game to get a tank because he just wanted to blow something up. And uh, he ended up getting what they call an e-web generator. If you're familiar with Star Wars Universe, it's basically like a, a hand cannon of some sort, a, a man-portable heavy weapon. It's the one they shot at the Millennium Falcon with at Hoth when it was leaving in Empire Strikes Back. That's correct. And uh, so he managed to get his hand on one of those as a... Uh, Empire capital ship was coming down towards them. And I said, I'm going to shoot this thing with my e-web generator. And the game master said, well, you know, it's just going to bounce off the shielding. And I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm crazy and I'm, I'm going to try it anyway. And I rolled and I used a force point and I spent all my experience points and I got all these extra dice and I'm pretty much maxed out my roll. And in D6 Star Wars, if you roll on your special dice of six, it keeps exploding. And oh, wow. my dice kept exploding. And I must have rolled six or seven sixes in a row on that one die. <laughs> and the game master was like, okay, well, you know, it's not in the rules or anything, but screw it. I don't care. You managed to destroy this ship. It comes crashing down in a flaming heap. <laughs> and so from then on, I was the guy who brought down a capital ship using a hand weapon. Did you did you destroy a Star Destroyer from the ground? It wasn't a Star Destroyer. It was a much smaller vehicle. Uh -huh. But, yeah, it, it was pretty awesome. That's badass. <laughs> That is truly badass. All right. Okay. Well, that's. I, I think this uh, this idea is working out, Daryl. I see. I think this uh, best die roll thing is going to be a, a good fit for our our, our podcast. Yeah, I like it. Okay. So now let's talk about graphic content. And I think the the subtitle that we're using for this is using graphic content as a storytelling tool in in gaming. So maybe we should start out by talking about like what is graphic content. For role playing games, what are we what are we really dis discussing here? Uh, does anybody want to jump in on that one? Uh, slapping someone's balls with shopping shopping <laughs> graphic, maybe or? is that well? How graphic is that really? I mean, that, it is graphic, but it's more on the slapsticky side of things. In terms of 
Yeah, that's kind of where I want to define the term, you know. <laughs> so we're so we're kind of talking about stuff like um, cold-blooded murder. We're talking about like stuff that kind of bumps up against uh, real-world religions. Yeah, I mean, am I on the right kind of path? I I think those are all qualifiers for graphic content. And I was also wanting to go in the direction because another uh, Rob is pretty much I think it's the first guest we found on the show that I've actually played a game with. Uh, we uh, he ran a pickup D and D next game. And it involved a bunch of naked giants attacking us, and there was a lot of discussion about the giant's penis. That's true. It was. There was a lot of penis talk there. Yeah. And uh, and he also ran a game for uh, Nordling, that my editor on Anacol News, that involved, uh, I believe he described it as a magical circle meets the human centipede. Yeah, yeah, that was a, it was a giant, it was a gateway to the far realm, and the gateway was made of people who were all fused together in a big circle, and they were all alive and screaming. And there was a shimmering portal in the middle. I thought it was pretty cool. That is, I mean, I can certainly see that in the context of the far realm. That makes perfect sense when you're talking about that particular type of thing. It might be a little jarring if it was, you know, for something like Dragonlance, but. Oh, right, sure. But that's a lot of kind of what I wanted to go get into with this topic is, and there's also a sliding scale on the thing where you talk about your normal D&D game. You first level band of orcs. You go fight the orcs and you roll your crit and the DM says, okay, you've defeated the orc. That's on the null end of the scale. Or you can go into graphic detail explaining exactly what happens as your sword pierces the flesh and describe all the viscera that goes on. That would be falling into the graphic content end of things. And, of course, there are the things that Rob was mentioning as well. And one thing I do want to point out, this is a discussion of using violence as a tool, not of the socio-political implications of it. And we're going to get into that in another podcast. Okay, here's here's what I'm going to suggest as a definition for graphic content for tonight's uh, discussion. My, I'm going to suggest that graphic content in a role-playing game is anything that's potentially uncomfortable or is outside of social norms as expected by your players in a typical role-playing game. That's my suggestion for a definition of the topic. What do you guys think? That definition works for me. Sure, me too. <laughs> All right. It's the best I can do at short notice. Uh, I'm not going to claim to be an expert on the subject or anything of that nature, but uh, I thought it might be useful for us just to kind of get an idea, of, or, or at least for the listeners, to kind of get an idea of we're on the same page right from the start, at least. Uh, at least, hopefully, we are. <laughs> um, so I think, yeah, I think what Daryl was just saying uh, about the sliding scale is interesting because in a, well, let's just use Dungeons & Dragons as a, your, your typical role-playing game experience. And it's possible to have the GM say, well, yes, you defeat the orc. But it's also possible for him to say, you ram your sword through the orc's throat, blood gushing over your blade. You know, he lets out a gurgle as he sinks to his legs, and the whole area is just covered in crimson gore. Now, one of those two things is definitely more uh, graphic than the other. Uh, I would actually say one of those two things is a little more fun to hear than the other. But <laughs> that's just me. And I would kind of um, think that that the second term, the second second example, is probably closer to the median. I think there is even you can go even further than that, right? Oh, certainly, certainly. Maybe you know, Rob. Do you have an example that you'd like to give? Sure. You jam your sword up through the orc's groin, and he sh- and he howls shrilly as he as he bleeds <laughs> out through his crotch. When he finally expires, he voids his bowels in a tremendous fart. And, le- and falls to the ground quivering. 
Yes. And, th- and then, and then the cockroaches that were nested in his entrails hatch and come crawling out <laughs> wow. and carpet the floor. Yeah, that's definitely one end of the scale. This, this sounds like the very best game of uh, Role Master ever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember the crit charts in Role Master? Oh, yeah. 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 Arduin has some pretty uh, impressive ones as well. So I guess uh, now that we've talked about like that sliding scale and we kind of defined our term a little bit, the question I want to throw out there for Bill and Rob and Daryl is how do you use this graphic content as a storytelling tool? In what ways is it useful to you as a GM? For me, well, just one of the main fundamental issues of, that you're, doing, you're dealing with in role-playing games is that there's always this tension of do I frighten the characters or do I frighten the players? And... I think in order to frighten the characters, you can do that mechanically, but I think in order to really get the characters to have them behave in a way that is uh, believable and maintains suspension of disbelief uh, is to unsettle your audience, right? I mean, you're as a game master, dungeon master, you're a performer and you want to make your players feel. And so I think graphic content is useful to get the, get the blood flowing, get the emotions kind of going. I think if, uh, you, if, if every game is just a, a process of you hit and do six points of damage, it's your turn. It just becomes this engineering game, right? Where you're just turning screws with your wrench and the game's just kind of this grand simulation is fault is unfolding before you. But yeah, as- but there's a difference. I mean, I, I want to say there's a difference between stimulating the senses and even descriptive combat. There's a difference between that and going into the graphic content area. Sure. I do, yeah, sure. But, but I think that it's more than combat when you're using this, these things, right? I mean, we go to yeah. the sage, the sage says something and we get the information and it takes us to the dungeon. Well, you can, gra- graphic content might be, like in my, most of my games, the sage would probably have a guy in a gimp suit, uh, locked up in a chest. <laughs> and every once in a while, while the players are talking to this guy, they'd see the chest rattle a little bit. Or, you know, he might have, uh, he might have incontinence, right? And I might describe him as having a sheet of brown on the back of his robes. Because, you know, those shocking things, especially for players who've been playing D&D or role-playing games for 20, 25, 30 years, they've seen it all. And so, you know, obviously you have to judge your audience, and I'm sure we'll talk more about that. But I think mm-hmm. it's, I, I, I like to season my games with disturbing and unsettling images to really, really drive home the tone and mood of the adventure. So you're saying, like, for shock value, it makes the game more memorable. Right. You'll never forget the sage who had shit on the back of his robes, right? You'll never forget that. (laughs) Even if you want to. (laughs) (laughs) And it also gets a little bit infectious, too, because, again, thinking about those giants, I was playing a fighter, and every single attack was going for the dick because there was a giant, naked giant in front of me, so, of course... It's right in my face. I'm going to attack it. And I even got to the point where I, I went for a strong hit and I missed. And I said, how about a bris? <laughs> and, uh, for the record, there were about, I was on my third Long Island iced tea at this point, I believe. So, so the lame joke, I, I'll blame on the hotel bar. I think they're, they'll, they'll, they'll shoulder that blame. <laughs> what about you, Bill? Well, I think it kind of depends on the, the mood and the tone of the game that you're trying to set. Some games, I've run quite a few horror games where, yeah, graphic content was not only expected, but demanded, you know, both of the viscera 
blood and guts and, and people getting their brain pans spooned out and all that sort of thing, but also whatever craziness I could come up with. And that's expected in a game like that. Different games need different, um, I don't know, attitudes, moods, tone. So you're saying graphic content's a good way to establish a certain tone? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. But it's not appropriate in all cases. Well, no, I'm, I'm not saying it is, but if you're for a certain tone that you're trying to give out uh, or, or trying to get across, then graphic content is an excellent tool to to get your players to think in that way. It absolutely is. And I think I think Robert would agree with this if we th- look at say Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay. One thing that sets Wifrip apart from D and D is uh, there's kind of an expectation that it's going to have more graphic content, specifically in terms of violence and maybe, you know, as you were saying, some of the the bodily functions and things, especially when you bring in Nurgle and, and disease. Right. But I think that in a game like that, and this is to, to kind of add on to what I was saying, is that I think a lot of games kind of tell you on the cover what kind of what kind of game it is, right? I mean, and Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay is, is, is a is a worlds apart from something like Dragonlance. I don't ever, I mean, I can't imagine Goldmoon sitting, squatting to take a shit. I just can't imagine that ever happened. Uh, in fact, I, I do realize every single listener of this podcast now is, right? Well, you know, <laughs> you're welcome. But, <laughs> but, you know, you think about like, uh, Gotrek and Felix, right? From Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay. I mean, or from the, from the books. I mean, yeah, totally. They do all sorts of crazy stuff. I can see, I can, I can see really disgusting things happening. I mean, even the cover of that book is so vivid, right? I mean, it's just these orcs yeah. with these leather stitches on their cuts, or their goblins, rather. And it's just this dirty, filthy, ugly world. Well, and that's uh, Rob, Ralph Horsley is uh, the excellent cover artist uh, involved there. Yeah. So I, I've often said that you're not playing Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay right unless there's a chance of infection on your characters in almost every scene. <laughs> right. <laughs> from some From something horrible, whether it be flies or you know, bad meat or, or something along those lines. Cause that's just how that world is and, and getting that world across. I, I would dare say that graphic content is just part and parcel of certain game settings. Totally agree. And I mean, that's, I think that's kind of like the next step is like, what are, what are some, some settings or maybe even some systems that have graphic content built in? And, and I, I guess what we're saying here can, is more can you, do, can, you, can you do me a favor? Awesome. Pretty yeah. please say the bullet point I made in the, in the show notes for this one. Okay. The violence inherent in the system. <laughs> Daryl's been waiting. Daryl's very night. proud of his bullet points. I'm, I'm sorry. I, it's about, it is the first Monty Python joke I have made in a very long time involving gaming that I liked. Well, good job. Cause <laughs> well, yep. Because Monty Python and gaming never seem to mix. Oh, wait. <laughs> they totally well, I do. hate it and try to avoid it every step. So the fact that I made one that I liked. Okay. All right. So, um, where was I? Yes. Uh, <laughs> what are some, what are some game settings and what are some game systems that seem, that, that have graphic content as part and parcel of what they are? I mean, we just mentioned one, but what are some other ones? Well, obviously, we can't say that, can't talk about gaming and graphic content without mentioning. F- oh, oh God! God. I'm, ki- I'm, kidding. I'm kidding! I'm kidding! I'm kidding! I'm <laughs> kidding! Um, for the record, you have hit the one word I bleep out of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to say uh, Rollmaster. I said it earlier. Their crit tables are nothing but, you know, people getting their eyes poked out and, and entrails spilled. Okay. And, uh, those crit charts could be pretty brutal. 
can I can I jump on that and ask for a quick a quick sideline on that because Rollmaster is actually the heart the heart and soul of what became Middle Earth roleplay. And I wanted to ask if you ever felt that the critical charts ever affected the tone of Middle Earth roleplay in that they presented, you know, some kind of introducing graphic content into that milieu. That is a really good question. I've played the heck out of both Middle Earth roleplaying um, and Rollmaster back in the day, and um, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if it really changed the tone for us, but of course we were college students and we were crazy, and and uh, we liked our graphic violence anyway. So it was just maybe icing on the cake for us. I don't think Tolkien would have approved necessarily, but <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it, I got to admit it was always kind of a thing that made me raise an eyebrow. Like you know, they're they're kind of you know showing you the the very Tolkien esque merp, and then those critical hit charts come up. And you know, I'll I'll even go another example. Um, how many of you guys are familiar with the Robotech role playing game? Yes. Oh yeah. So Robotech role playing game, you know, it's about you know guys driving around giant robots, and and there's a military war going on, and there's you know sometimes heroism and, and romance, right? But the uh, there was this really big part of the. The role-playing game that always confused me and, and kind of frightened me a little bit as far as its impact on the tone of the game because they included a big section on insanity rules. Yeah. <laughs> you, you guys familiar with what I'm talking Absolutely. about? Yeah, those rules are in every Palladium book. Right, but I'm like, this. it felt so inappropriate to Robotech. It was in uh, Saturday Morning Kids cartoon from the 80s. It was also in, 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 your, in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and other strangeness in yeah. the game as well. Well, T- right. well TM, certain villains in TMNT, I could sort of see that. but And it also kind of fit if they were going for more of the original comic books as uh, opposed know, to the 80s cartoon. I guess this is just all of me getting to the point of saying, you know, it's not just violence and sex. It can also be, you know, mental instabilities uh, can also be a, a, a point of graphic content. And if you're wanting to talk about mental, mental instabilities in a game, you got to bring up Cthulhu. Call it Cthulhu. That's true. I think they cribbed a lot of the DSM-4 for the actual book. It's just an entire section that's nothing but mental disorders and quick definitions of them that you can use in the game. And a lot of them really encourage a lot of really graphic, creepy behavior. There's, I, I've heard games and I've watched games and I've played games where people are like, uh, I'm so nervous I start chewing my nails, but I don't notice that I'm gnawing off the ends of my fingers and stuff like that. And this is one reason why I think graphic content is really great when you apply it to a horror genre. I think it really helps uh, bring across that tone specifically because of some of the things I've been exposed to with um, Call of Cthulhu. Uh, what are some other games can we think of? Anything? Anybody? Well, yeah, you know, I just wanted if if we can just go back. I want to touch on one thing about Middle Earth and Robotech. Oh yeah, because I think right it was really I think it was really interesting you brought those up because it just kind of struck me that I don't know that those games were okay. This is this may be controversial, but I don't care. So those games were systems before they were before they adopted the IPs, right? That's true. Yes. So, yeah, they both were different systems. Yeah, and so I don't think anyone back then really thought about crafting a system for the IP. I just don't think that was ever even, I mean, you just have a game system and you can slap on whatever you want to it. I think that to some extent that's what the thinking was behind those games. I mean, Robotech's got some stuff that, you know, lets you do the stuff that you do in the, in the, in the, the cartoon or whatever. But, uh, you know, fundamentally it is a Palladium game, it's a Palladium game system with this patch of this kind of this suit of Robotech over top. And so I think it's really interesting that that's kind of, that whole, that whole kind of technique and mode has largely changed, I think. I mean, 
Well, we did Dark Sun for a fourth edition, which could be a game with a lot, with potentially a lot of graphic content. We, 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 we rebuilt almost, well, great swaths that game to be able to embrace the, the mood and the tone and the flavor of that world. And it wasn't just a patch job. And I think second edition did the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. So I just, it was just interesting. It's just an interesting kind of development game design that there was a certain point where I think that System didn't matter. You're just gonna, it just was the way it is. And then now system is really, oh, is now more in service to, uh, the story, which I think is a nice, a nice development. Yeah. Like Dark Sun, for example, uh, the graphic content there is kind of savagery. It's the, the cannibalism and the, you know, using bones as weapons and things like that. The, the harsh survival that is needed, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Although I don't think, I think the, the, in that world, I think it's more of almost, it almost has a Lovecraftian vibe in the sense that it's a cosmic horror sense. I mean, you are insignificant in the world, in the, in, on Athos. You just, you just don't matter. Uh, cause you're gonna die and so will the next ten characters that you're gonna play will die horribly brutal deaths, right? Just by wandering around the desert, being sucked up in the air by an air vortex or something like that. But, uh, I'm not sure that at least the fourth edition Dark Sun is graphic in the sense that, well, I don't think it's graphic enough. Okay. What about something like drug use? Like Shadowrun, Cyberpunk 2020. There's a, there's a few other games I'm I know sure Shadowrun, have. Shadowrun in the early edition spent a lot of time kind of glossing over drug use and they kept trying to do, push, uh, BTL better than life chips as the drug because it wasn't a real drug, although there were still plenty of references to jazz and Nova. Well, it's, all I, this I, stuff. I think it's, when we're talking about role playing games, it's fair to say there's going to be some unrealistic and, you know, yeah. fictional things in there, but uh, just drug use in general, I guess, is what I'm going for here. Well, the second they introduced qualities into Shadowrun, addiction was the first one they put in. Yeah, I, I think you could argue that some of the World of Darkness games had uh, had drug use as, uh, as an element. Certainly Mage, with there were certain traditions that were kind of all about that. And there was the infamous Giovanni clan book. Right. Anybody, I, I, I think that maybe the if, if we think of more, let's let's bring them up, certainly. But uh, but, you could definitely look at Numenera that has, that, that has strains of graphic content in it. Monsters are they fairly... They just came out with a sex book, didn't they? Yeah, Love and, uh, love and Sex in Numenera, I believe. They're certainly... Uh, Monty and Shauna and company and Bruce are pushing the envelope about what kind of content you find in a role-playing book, and I think it's good. Right, and I was just reminded of, actually, there was a thing on uh, DriveThru called The Sisters of Rapture, which was a kind of love and sex for Pathfinder, if you will. Um, and it was... You, it was considered controversial, uh, most because it did focus on those things. And of course, before that, it was uh, Gwendolyn Kestrel's uh, the Book of Erotic Fantasy, right? And you could even go so far as to talk about Book of Vile Darkness, which actually had a lot of things about drug use in it as well, if I remember right. Mm-hmm. There was a fair bit of mature content in, in uh, Book of Vile Darkness. Or how many of you guys have read it? Besides maybe me and Rob. Nope. Okay. Uh, what, which edition? The third edition, of Book of Vile Darkness. I read it when I like. 14 years ago <laughs> or thir- 13, 12, something like whenever it came out, I read it and that was the only time I read through okay. it. Okay. I, I don't blame you for not remembering it. So there so you go. I, I don't remember much of it. I just remember there were a lot of really, that's one thing about shock value when it's something that you're reading as, some, as opposed to something that's in a game. I'll remember all these really shocking moments in a game because I'm kind of living them. But when I read them, it's, it's, there's an old saying, can you tell, can you tell me right now off the top of your head, 10 dirty jokes? And most people can't because the punchline usually is just something shocking as opposed to something that's necessarily witty. 
So the it, you may laugh like crazy when the joke's told, but trying to remember it weeks or months later, you won't be able to necessarily unless you're trying to think of, have you heard the joke about the, oh yeah, I've heard that one. Then you'll remember it. And it's kind of the same way when I'm reading the books. It's like, I, I remember something about like magic bondage handcuffs or something. That's about <laughs> all I remember about the whole book. Uh, it had the it had the flesh ring of scorn in there too. And the tongue rod. All sorts of great stuff in that book. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not saying it's, I'm not saying it's, there's not great stuff in that book. I just haven't read it in a long time, so I don't remember any of it. Sure. Well, there because was, because it book. was all just, it was, it was going for visual shock value, which again, works in some situations, in some medium, like in a role playing game, in a video game. You're going to remember those big shocking scenes more than you are if you're just passively reading through a book and you're not actively involved in it. If I'm just reading through a bunch of rules, yeah, the shocking stuff probably isn't going to stick with me. Well, there's a book that I remember from uh, the werewolf line back in the day, and it was called Freak Legion. Now, this was part of uh, White Wolf's Black Dog line, where they kind of intentionally were pushing the envelope a bit. And Freak Legion was all about the Fremori, which are these, you know, basically people that are fused with a evil spirit. And the Fremori had these weird and crazy powers, and they had a whole section set aside for... Some of the more crazy stuff, like uh, one was called Savage Genitalia, for example. <laughs> yeah, we're talking vagina dentata. We're talking about you know spikes and barbs, and it was it was pretty you know it, it was it was memorable in that it was something I was like wow that just ugh, you know it kind of kind of makes a shiver go down my spine of like I never really want to see that in the game. But I thought it was interesting that they presented it, and again they did it with the caveat of it was under Black Dog and it wasn't part of their main game, and you, you kind of knew what you were getting. I mean, it wasn't a surprise. Let me uh, let me ask a question. Do you guys think every once in a while some of these graphic, like what Ross just described, uh, maybe sometimes they're trying a little too hard. The writers and the editors and whatnot are trying <laughs> a little too hard. <laughs> Well, Robert, Rob, Robert brought up a game a little bit earlier that was definitely trying too hard. It's the, uh, yeah. the game that shall not be named, uh, definitely tries too hard on that. I, I, I think you're right. I think in the case, that, that book was, that, that talking, the, the book you were just talking about kind of made my skin crawl a little bit too, because I wasn't really sure how you would use it. And I mean, I think that that's kind of that, there's a, there's a fine line you have to walk. When between writing for titillation and writing for storytelling. And, you know, in a sense with like, with, with something like that, I mean, I'm not sure if that's going to actually achieve any objectives of trying to produce that kind of mood in the game, but rather just kind of shock the reader into, into, well, I guess horror or whatever. No. A book that I found, I found last summer was uh, Carcosa. I'm not sure if you're familiar oh, yeah. with that one. That yeah, one's yeah, loaded with really dark stuff, right? I mean, but I think it's done in a way that makes sense for the world. We kind of brought up the game that shall not be named. So I have a question for you guys. Have any of you actually read the book in question, or have you just read the infamous RPG Net review and response and counter response? I've read some of it, but I had not the stomach to read through the whole thing. Yeah, same you here. I, I, it didn't. It was just... I, it, it has no no redeeming value to me whatsoever. It's, it's just kind which, of it's just kind of a mess. Even even just in how it's written, it's not even that good. Right. It's not even interesting. It's like a collection of random calculus involved tables, and then just 
tap into the brain of a slightly disturbed 13-year-old who just discovered porn for the first time. Well, let's let's remember one of the rules of the podcast where there's no hate. <laughs> oh, there's a lot of hate on this one, dude. Just, Come on. This I, one's a fair target. I, th- I think we should just basically say that it is not to our tastes and move on. I think that would be the best way to handle that. That's fair. That's Good fair. idea. Because <laughs> we could go on all night about it otherwise. We could, and I, I really... I, I, I really like what we're doing here on the Gamers Tavern. I think it's really fun that we, we get to talk to great people like Bill and Rob and all the, the guests we've had. And, and, and when we bring up a, a difficult subject like graphic content, I'm, I'm not surprised that it, it kind of pushes the, the boundaries of the podcast itself. I mean, that, that's understandable. Because the thing about graphic content is it brings up a strong emotion. And for some of us uh, with a certain game, that emotion is revulsion. And, you know, I mean, that's... If you can say nothing else about that particular product, you can say that it maybe achieved its goal of making you feel something. Sure. Uh, so, although I, I think that, and as I was saying before, I think that there's a lot of this is kind of authorial masturbation. Right? Well, yeah, quite and, possibly. You know, <laughs> and it, I think that happens and, often, and possibly literally. Right. Well, oh. you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna try to conjure that image, uh, but well, maybe I did. Too anyway, late. But I, you know, a lot of it is just like, well, you know, I, I know that I worked on a book called uh, Carcera, Cancer, Cancera. I, I don't know. It was a book. It was a book for uh, uh, Paradigm Concepts for their Arcanus line back when they were work. It was still for the D twenty system. And I know that I was like, that I was told, go fucking nuts, go as disgusting as you can possibly go. And so I did. And I gave them a monster that was made. It was a swarm of aborted fetuses. And that was, that did not make it into the final cut, I don't think. It might have, but I don't think it did. So, I mean, I think it was kind of like this, do you, are you daring me to go so far? And then I, of course, now I would never do that because I felt horrible about it at the time. <laughs> Actually, I didn't feel horrible about it at all, but I feel horrible about it now. But I mean, yeah, I, I don't think that, I don't, I don't think that's just, I think that actually just becomes some sort, some weird form of, of pornography, right? Does that make sense? Possibly, possibly. You know, I, I, I think I see where you're going with that. Is that it's, as you say, writing for titillation rather than for the actual storytelling value. Right. Now, I'm going to bring up another setting. Actually, that just came to mind. Uh, I don't know how many of you guys are familiar with it, but it's Cthulhu Tech. Oh yeah. Mm. And in Cthulhu Tech, one of it's it's kind of infamous for this is uh, part of its setting is uh it's it's the far future where the Cthulhu mythos kind of smashes headlong into uh, a lot of anime tropes like power armor and giant robots and things of that nature. Uh, but when they, when they chose to write the effects on the world at large, one of their kind of go-to tropes was like entire industry set up around non-consensual, non-consensual sex. And I think like for me, that's one of those things where uh, I was like, yeah, I'm just, I don't really that's not something else I'm not really huge into when I want to pilot a giant robot and fight a Shoggoth. <laughs> so I would say that's that's an example of it kind of pushing me away rather than bringing me into the story. Yeah, that's pretty gross. Yeah. <laughs> Just that's that's a good that's a good example. And maybe maybe that's like the question we need to answer right now is is or when do you know that graphic content has gone too far? Like as a GM, let's say you're let's say you are building some of these things into your game. How do you know that you've gone too far? When Robert Schwab says, "Yeah, I don't think I think that's a little too much." <laughs> well, that's I, a good yardstick. Sure. I, well, it's a that's a really long one. Uh, <laughs> hey, oh, uh, yeah, that's right. I'm here all night. Uh, 
I think that it's it, the the graphic content button is one you don't. I mean, I try not to push too often in my games because you know you've gone too far when people get up and leave. And I have I have unfortunately offended people by going too far, and I feel really bad about it. Even though that I know that some people are really on board, but there are but everyone's got their limits. And I think it's oh, you always have to play that feeling out game and be and never and go up to the line but never cross it. If that makes any sense at all. Yeah, it really depends on your audience. I've run games that were very dark, and the people who are getting into it knew it, and I would let them know ahead of time. And I run games for nine-year-old girls, which are not quite as dark, or they're dark in a different way anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you would say you read your audience, you look at their body language, you look at the way they're responding, and maybe use that as your your yardstick. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, when you start seeing that kind of look of revulsion on your face and the negative, like crossing the arms, turning away, sort of body language, you kind of know you're you're hitting up against the line, if not crossing it. So here's a question for both Rob and Bill, too. is Do you change anything for running a game at a convention for strangers than you would for your home group? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Short and sweet. Yeah, well... I. So here's, a, here's an example. This actually just happened uh, the other night. So uh, Saturday night, I ran a game for some friends and uh, some colleagues. And so I ran a – it was a small game, just a short 45-minute to an hour kind of game. And I wasn't sure about what their levels of comfort were, right? I had no idea. They had gone to this farmhouse. They were basically looking for this uh, – it doesn't really matter. They go to this farmhouse. They described that they'd opened the door. They described this big kind of – looked like a garbage bag. It made of skin – hanging from the ceiling, it was dripping yuck onto the floor. And I saw, like, a hand pressing up against the outside of it, right? And so I kind of waited to see what they kind of how they reacted. They were fine. By the end of that adventure, I had one of the characters attacked by this little zombie demon baby guy with a with a raging hard-on. <laughs> and the, the at the end of his hard-on was a mouth with filled with teeth. And when he hit this guy with his penis weapon, uh, he bit... <laughs> And injected him with something that gave birth inside of his belly and crawled its way out of his ass. <laughs> and everyone had a great time. And it was and everyone was laughing and just horrified and disgusted. And they were really upset that the game was over. Now, granted, that was <laughs> that was the tone that I had set as I was going. But I but I did, I would not have jumped. I would not have led with the penis monster guy. It just would never. Have <laughs> so, so you kind of test the waters first, right? Right. It's just gradually you make you just raise the stakes. You just say this is going to be gross. This is going to be worse. This is going to be, this is really going to be bafflingly horrible. And this is really going to make you sick. And then, you know, you kind of have to, and that's how far you can go. And you can always pull back by just kind of, you're basically calibrating your group. Is that your, your game to your group's tastes? Was one thing that I've noticed is that whenever I start going into those, as opposed to just, okay, you kill the orc. And then I, instead I go into the big, long detailed descriptions, the players, when they're into it, start to join in. And there's an infamous case, at least I think it's infamous, of uh, Spoonie talks about on his show Counter Monkey, where he ran a Thieves World campaign. And it just became an escalating thing that uh, involved Tippus Thales with one of the bar... <laughs> you know the Thieves World guy? <laughs> they laughed. Tippus Thales in Sanctuary, in the square... Gets a barmaid that's an ally of the PCs. And again, this is getting pretty graphic. They, uh, he literally skull fucks her to death 
in front of the city, the town guards and everything. And they enact a massacre. And then in retribution, the PCs start going after, uh, uh, the, was it the stepbrothers? I think. Yep. Uh, starts going up, stepsons, stepsons, sorry. We got start, the stepsons get brought into town and then it just keeps escalating and escalating. And there are some really vile descriptions of what these guys were doing. And it gets to the point where even Spoonie's going, I think we may have gone too far with this. We might want to kind of pull, might want to stop doing this because we're going to a really dark place. <laughs> and once you get, once you, Everyone's trying to top each other and go even further. And if you get to that point where you're realizing, okay, we've kind of gone way over the line here. Is there a way to put the genie back in the bottle? And that guy, or do you just have to call the campaign and start anew? So I kind of feel like I don't, I don't mind it when players kind of get excited and try to play along a little bit. But, and this sounds, this is going to sound very Gygaxian, but I like to keep a firm hand on what's gross and what's not. And so. <laughs> I don't, I, I don't, I, you know, there's, I, I'm a full believer that the only way that the, the group's going to be, that you can prevent some really, really fucked up shit from happening in your games where you're going to find out stuff about your players you never want to know is to keep the hand on the, on, on the wheel. And when it, when the game starts kind of devolving into this gross out contest, you've lost your game. There's no way to get it back. You just got to always ratchet it back, right? So if it's, you go something gross and the players try to one up you, then, go tame for a while, right? And that's keep it keep it level and even. I think my preference, I mean, okay, I, I'm always the guy that says you should, you know, do do communication first and talk to your group and see if there's a way to talk talk it out. But my preference would be if if things go to that level where we're all uncomfortable, I think it's no longer fun. I think the the situation in which you have the most fun is where you're you're comfortable and you feel safe. So if if things get to that point for me uh, my my preference would probably be to shut it down and and start something else on a blank slate. I agree. Yes, yeah. probably the, the only way to do that if it gets to the point when even the, the guy running the game is feeling yucked. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for joining us tonight, guys. We really appreciate you uh, stepping into this big miasma of um, uncomfortableness, <laughs> which apparently is infecting all all four of us tonight. <laughs> Uh, it, it takes a brave man to confront these things, and I think it's uh, it's good that we are kind of confronting them in, in the, the sort of roundtable discussion. Just so the listeners know, though, that this is definitely not the easiest podcast we've ever done, I'm sure, for all of us. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, that's a great question. You know, putting the putting the genie back in the bottle, yeah, probably not. So yeah, I was going to say that, that, I mean, being reckless about that is the best way, is the fastest way for you to destroy a gaming group. It really is. <laughs> I mean, I've seen people get so offended they stop playing. And, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it, it's, that's why, that's why I'm such a firm believer of being very, I mean, I think you're right. I mean, obviously communication up front is key. And that's when I, like, I was, I was going to run Carcosa for my group and I explained what it was about. And my, and I had a player who was very unhappy with some of the content in that game. So we just decided not to do it. And we moved on and did something else. That's, that solved all sorts of problems. You know, I need to tell a quick story here because actually I had, I had a, a, a moment where I changed my perspective on this whole thing recently. Prior to ChupacabraCon, which was a convention here in Austin last month, I had been kind of I, – I, I felt like I had fallen into a trap of, of one true wayism because I was saying you should always talk it out with your players. You should. There is no question that communication is 
the number one thing. You should always get everybody in on the social contract before you begin um, because that's what I believe. And, and that is still certainly my preference and my personal approach. But I was talking to this one guy about this actually for CoverCon, and he said, well, that won't work for my group. And I, of course, I asked him why. And he said, well, the thing is, he says, my group, we like to push our boundaries. We like to come to an understanding of what is and isn't acceptable organically. We have, we obviously have a very strong bond of trust between us, which is good, but you know, we role play so that we can kind of push the envelope. We role play so that we do kind of occasionally brush up against things that make us feel a little, you know, a little skin crawly. And I, I said, well, you know, that's, that's actually a, a totally valid way to play a game. It's just very different than any of my uh, experiences have ever been. Now, one of the things that I've always wanted to do, especially at a con, is to advertise a game as one thing, like, say, Cowboys, and then have it actually be something totally different. Uh, zombies suddenly show up and become very graphic at that point. And I've never been quite brave enough to do it because, I, again, I don't really know what the reaction is going to be if people sign up for a, you know, an Aces and Eights game where they're expecting to be you know, gamblers and, and cowpokes and that sort of thing. And then suddenly they're having their intros ripped out by werewolves or whatever. Yeah, I don't know how people are going to take that. <laughs> so I've always wanted to do it, but I've never quite been brave enough to try it. Well, you can still be honest and be dishonest at the same time, kind of be cagey about the description. It's a supernatural Western game. And then just leave it at that. And then when you have the werewolves show up or the zombies or whatever, I set up the supernatural game. Mm-hmm. Well, let's, I mean, we, we brushed up against this earlier, but let's ask you a question about venue. Like I think Robert runs most of his games either at conventions or probably at someone's house. I know I do that too. Robert, are you correct me if I'm wrong? Yeah. I, I, yeah. Mostly at conventions. Sometimes I'll do a demo at a game store, but yeah, mostly. Right. But I mean, it, yeah. There's so if you're, but if you're at a game store, and that this is this is where actually a lot of people in Austin they like to play at Dragon's Lair, which is uh, one of the second biggest I think gaming stores in the world. Uh, second biggest west of the Mississippi. There you go. It's a very very big game store. So a lot of people in town actually role play in a public place. They role play at the at the game store. Would that change? I mean, obviously, Robert's answer is probably going to be no. But <laughs> would that change your presentation of graphic content if you are running your game in a public location as opposed to a private one? Yes, I, I and I, I do. You know, I, it's going back to the convention question too. I think I do. I do change my initial my initial st- when the game starts, but I also feel out my audience there, and I also feel out the people around me. So I'm always aware of who's listening in, because when you're in a pub, when you're running a game, especially as a pro, you know you're you're selling your game by running it. Right? I can't afford to gross out some mom. By making this, by saying something disgusting and then have, then have her, you know, trash my product or the product I'm pitching. So, uh, I do, I do temper it somewhat. And I think venue is very important. Didn't Nordling or Alan get saved in that game with the, with the human portal thing by a bystanding child who happened to wander by toward the end? Yes. In fact, that's exactly what happened. A child walked <laughs> up to the table and I totally downplayed it. Yeah, no, no, we were, oh, what happened? No, we had a, a girl came in to join the, join the table. We'd already started and I was going gross because that was what we wanted. And then she sat down and I was like, I dialed it all the way back and it became immediately PG for the rest of the game, except until we got to the big scary portal at the end. 
but yeah, that was a that was a good example of where I had to make a where I made an adjustment on the fly. So, if you introduce graphic content in your game, how does that how does that change the way that the the, the players react? Do you feel? I mean, Daryl already brought up the idea that they can, you know, kind of feed off of it to, in in a bad way. But is there a, a good way in which they can respond? I don't even necessarily think that the whole aspect of trying to one up is necessarily a bad thing in and of itself. It's a matter of when you go too far. If, like Rob was saying, if you start, okay, now we're getting a bit too, too far and you pull back and you kind of play that, it takes, it takes a little bit of work to play that game right, but let me let him off the leash a little bit. Okay, now I'm going to brain in the leash some because they're going too far. If you can do that, you can pull off that kind of game where they're, where they're saying they're one-upping each other, I think. Well, I think I, I like it when, if if the players get into it, they can actually reinforce the tone and reinforce the themes of the game if if they're really buying into that graphic content. And again, I'm going to go back to Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay and to an extent 40K Roleplay as well, uh, where they can start really, you know, really describing the nitty-gritty, uh, either the ultra-violence, you know, where they're just blowing people in half with a bolt around, or, you know, kind of that sort of the grimy, you know, open sores on his skin kind of aspect of, of that world. Yeah, I think the players who definitely appreciate and who get into it can start, can totally reinforce the mood. And I think that's a... But there, you do run that risk of when the players feel liberated. When it becomes more than just telling a story. When it's some sort of opportunity to vent whatever id, uh, whatever id or problem or whatever is going on upstairs. I, I have a very... Uh, a very vivid memory of running a D&D game, and I went gross, and we were running a Return to Tomb of Horrors, and one of the guys who was playing was playing a necromancer. And so I think he killed a, he killed a, a, the bar, he killed the barmaid, and then, uh, took her head off, and I think he, uh, bounced her head on a stump of a broken chair. Like he, it was really, really gross and horrible, and the game pretty much came to a crashing halt. But, you know, yeah. So it was one of those moments where I was like, time to dial it, time, time to, to haul it all back, to rain it all back in. Wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to just take a quick break here. Daryl, does that work for you, buddy? Yep. Uh, I didn't quite know we were going to go to break on, <laughs> but good a place as any, I guess. You, you can fix that in post, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hi, this is Rich. And Amanda. For Animation Celebration. This July 4th, come on down to the convention. July 4th through the 6th, Moody Gardens Hotel and Resort and Spa down in Galveston, Texas. We're going to be set up with concerts, vendors, artists, and a lot of gaming. All the usual convention fun and Robert Schwab. Robert will be doing the exclusive Epic D&D Gaming Night with six players per night. These six players will be able to sit down and have a closed session with food, drinks, and unlimited supply of Doritos and Mountain Dew for that whole session. This will be some pretty awesome gaming with one of the creators of Dungeons & Dragons. What happens in the room stays in the room. We'll have a lot of other good VIP games going on. What we have, Munchkin, Warhammer, Cards Against Humanity, official tournaments for Magic the Gathering out, awesome prizes to win for our main concert night outside. Fourth of July, there's even a fireworks show set up with our bands, the Cybertronic Spree, all the way from Canada, dressed up like the Transformers, followed by Unknown Henson from Cartoon Network's early Kyler on Squidbillies. 
Pick up your tickets online while you can. This resort has never not been sold out that weekend. We recommend you book early. The web address is www.animation-celebrationgalveston.com slash home. Tickets are on sale now. We look forward to seeing you all there. And we're back with episode 21 of The Gamer's Tavern, where we're talking about graphic content as a storytelling tool in gaming. You know, Robert, one thing you said earlier that I would like to follow up on was um, you said it, there was something about, you know, you need to you need to know your gaming group and know their tastes. Yeah, um, and I was actually thinking about this uh, during our little break, uh, that the core truth in my experience for running games is that everybody is only is playing the game to have fun. And it sounds really stupid and sophomoric and obvious, but really what it all comes down to is what turns you on and what gives you a good time. And if you've got four entertainment hours a week and you're going to use those entertainment hours to, to be entertained, you want to do something that's going to entertain you. So I like to watch horror movies and I like, so I, I have fun watching horror movies. My wife doesn't like horror movies and she doesn't have fun watching horror movies. So I know that if I'm going to run a game for her, it's not, I'm not going to dial up the horrific. And so it's just knowing the people you're playing with. It's weird in convention games because you don't have that window into the personalities of the people that are on the table unless you luck out that, and you know them. And that's where, that's where I was saying earlier about, you know, just test the waters and try to make them a little uncomfortable if that suits the game. Yeah. It's never, it's never worth it just to be graphic for the sake of graphic. Well, you know, something I was just thinking about too is, um, for example, if I play a superhero game, most of the time I'm not really looking for graphic t- content. Most of the time I just want to, you know, I want to have a slugfest where somebody gets bruised, you know, maybe maybe a little blood is like the most we're ever going to see. It's going to be primarily, you know, kind of Silver Age in tone. A guy gets punched through three brick walls and then he stands up and right. wipes a little blood from the corner of his mouth and charges right, right back into the fight. Right, exactly. And, and this is also true for like most anime-inspired games that I really like. But at the same time, we have a pretty lighthearted Shadowrun game where I was actually gleefully describing how my Fletchet gun was just tearing <laughs> up this poor ganger into red mist. I think Be- Brandon was having a little fun on that one, too. Yeah, but because that was, you know, because although it was lighthearted, it, w- it didn't mean that it, w- it couldn't have graphic hyperviolence. Because, uh, you know, that's part of what Shadowrun can be. There's right. also two kinds of graphic content, I think, too. And I, I think it's something I kind of brought up earlier, but we didn't really go into, which is you can have the really dark, gritty, disturbing sort of violence, or you can have the cartoony, almost slapstick Three Stooges style, where you're just completely going over the top so far that it becomes comical. Like a uh, shocking grass to the nuts. <laughs> yes, exactly. Or... Or running up and chop, trying to chop off a giant's penis, yelling "Welcome to your bris." So, it, most role-playing games, though, center on violence, right? And almost, I mean, the majority of them involve killing things and taking their shit, or killing murder things. hobos. Yeah, you're murder hobos, and so much of the games that, that are out there are just that, right? I mean. If there was a G.I. Joe role-playing game, for example, you know, you just, you just shoot their parachutes and they might survive the fall. And that's probably as, as violent as you're going to get. But still that, you know, but role-playing games aren't like that. They're, especially games like D&D and Warhammer and all the other, and most of the other fantasy stuff. You are butchering people, right? And that's, and I don't know why we feel as gamers that it's necessary for us to mask that in some way. 
I, and I, I guess that's kind of the thing that I've never, I've, I've never flinched from saying, yeah, you rip him out and he voyages about, you rip out his guts and he, and he throws up blood or something like that because you're killing people. And I, I don't know. I, what do you guys think? I, I think there's this, there's a, you can have a sliding scale between even, even if you're running around like Ross said, murder hobos. There, uh, example I can think of from video games would be, uh, two different, uh, fantasy adventure games. One of which is the Legend of Zelda series, which is, does have a lot of combat and a lot of violence in it, but it's not really any, it's never really graphic or gory. Meanwhile, you also have God of War, which is nothing if not just over the top violence. Where you have cutscenes for every single enemy where you can slow, show yourself slowly slaughtering them. So. Yeah, I guess my problem is. You can, you can have it within the same genre doing that. Uh, a television example or a movie example, you've got Lord of the Rings, which, yeah, there's the scene where Aragorn chops off the orc's arm and cuts off his head, but most of the violence in that isn't that bloody and gory. Meanwhile, Game of Thrones. Sure, but I mean, I'm just saying that it's, but the thing that we would object to when you add gore and, 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 uh, is, is the amount of blood or the, the description of what's going on. It doesn't change the fundamental fact that something was alive and then something's not alive. And you are the author of, you are the author of that outcome. And so I don't, and I think we're, in some ways, just as this may be, this may be, this, I don't know where this is coming from. Maybe I, I'm, I'm starting to feel, realize that it's kind of, Doing a disservice to what's actually going on. It's, 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 it's car, it's this idea that it's actually a cartoon and none of the stakes matter. And I think that maybe it's good for games to, to inject a little, a, a little reality as far as what's actually cooking there. Otherwise we'd get distortions of, of what you're actually doing. I've made this exact argument when it comes to violence in video games and television. I think it depends on your, the game you're trying to run, right? It's, it depends on what the expectations are, uh, for you and what you expect the players to, to, to interact with. Like if I was going to run a game about the three musketeers and I explained it was all about, you know, daring do and swashbuckling and, you know, we are, we are agents of the queen. Yeah. People are going to get killed. Right. But in a, in a musketeers game, if I'm trying to really reinforce what that's about, it's not going to be gory. It's going to be like, you know, I stab him in the heart and draw back a mostly clean blade. Right. And he, you know, he will clutch his chest and, and, and collapse the ground and, you know, give a witty one liner before he, you know, passes on to the next world. At the same time, I see what Robert's saying. You know, he's, he, he's saying for a game that focuses on realism as opposed to other tropes, murder and, and, and death and violence and like their, their consequences of these things, kind of bringing those out and highlighting them and making them a little more graphic, uh, is not necessarily a bad thing. I don't think we're, I don't think any of us are trying to say it is. Sure. But I mean, I guess I look at something like, uh, I'm not sure if you guys read Joe Abercrombie's books, for example. Yes. All right. Yes, so he's one of my favorite guys and I, I just love his stuff. You know, he paints, he's got a fantasy world and there's a wizard and there's magic and there's all that other kind of stuff. But there's no sense that you're wandering through, uh, puff pastry fantasy land. And I know that that's a difference of genre, but I, but even though in a, even though in a, in a, in a light hearted fantasy book, they're still killing. And he's just saying that, no, I, I'm presenting you the truth of what this means to kill someone. And I think that, and that's kind of where my hang up is. And even in a Three Musketeers game, I mean, if there's, you're, you still killed somebody. I think that, that, that needs to be part of the conversation of 
when we do role-playing games, especially that are focused on killing, what's actually going on there? What are we doing when we are spending four hours a week murdering, mowing down <laughs> hundreds and hundreds of things that are waiting to die for you? And, you know, at some point, I, I think that it's, and that's, I guess it's a taste issue for me. It's just I find it weird. And uh, I hadn't really thought about it until tonight, but there it is. No, I, th- you know, I think your your point of view is totally valid, Robert. I just the only thing I'm cautioning against is saying that that's true for all games and all groups because I don't think that is. But it's a tone issue whether you're going for something dark and gritty. Yeah, if you're wanting to go something for dark and gritty that really reflects reality, yes, you definitely want to do that. Uh, it's it's things. This is actually kind of a really big philosophical question over how to p- depict violence in fiction overall. Right, and I think that's and, my problem. <laughs> and it's a valid point of view to say that. It's also a valid, in my opinion, a valid point of view to go the other direction and say, well, that's maybe not the type of story I'm wanting to tell. I'm wanting to tell a story of people who may not want to confront those realities. Right. Well, I don't think there's anything, there's nothing invalid about wanting a, you know, a, a, a swashbuckling adventure where, you know, if we kill a guy, it's, it's not incredibly graphic. I don't think there's anything wrong with that either. So uh, that's all I'm saying. Well, let me just. Yeah, say, I, I agree. I agree with you. Sorry. I, I was just going to say that uh, if if you run around and and kill people in real life, the authorities tend to frown on that. <sighs> Sadly, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Take it from me. But thanks for that reminder, yeah, Bill. No, it's, <laughs> I'm just throwing that out in case anybody's forgotten. Well, like uh, a good example, Bill. Why don't you tell us about like the difference in, in tone between um, your Iron Age game and your Luchador game? And like how you approach violence in both of those. My Luchador game is uh, very tongue in cheek, um, very over the top. Um, it's it's masked Mexican wrestlers fighting zombies and and vampires and werewolves and midgets. And mid- yes, I can't forget the midgets <laughs> in you know nineteen sixties Mexico City. And so it is nothing but fighting. I mean, it's pretty much you know every single scene in that has a fight in it because they're wrestlers and that's what they do. But there's nobody really gets permanently hurt. And one of the things that we joke about is that uh, we talk about how these were movies, you know, back in the 60s and continuing up till today. We talk about how, oh, so uh, so you pick up the midget and you and you drop him head first into the concrete. And then the actor who's playing the 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 bad guy midget. Oh, my God, my head. Somebody call an ambulance. So we, we kind of have this uh, metagame thing going on with my Lucha game. Breaking the fourth. Very wall. much so. Whereas my Iron Age game takes place in a very dark near future and the streets are overrun by drug lords and, and gangsters and, and kingpins. It's pretty much expected that everybody is going to be shooting first and asking questions later. And there's like, as Ross can attest to, there's always a high body count racked up. Oh yeah. It can get a little bit graphic. I don't know how, how graphic I would say it gets. I don't, I don't know, Ross, you, you played in it. Was it like super graphic? I did, but I, well, not, it it didn't, but I think it could have gone that yeah. way. And like for example, I think this is something I should bring up about you know the, the subjects we've touched on so far have been you know mostly with with violence and killing and things like that. And dr- we we've touched on things like drug use, but one thing that might come up, um, and I could totally see this happening actually in your Iron Age game, or at least being considered by some of the characters, um, is torture. Mm. I mean. Ultimately, if you look at a lot of role-playing games, and they they usually include a skill called interrogation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> at least most of the ones that I own have a skill called interrogation. Um, basically, what that skill boils down to is torture. I mean, just what well, unless you're just doing good, good cop, bad cop. Uh, well, even that's 
technically psychological torture. Well, you know, it's it, funny. Now we're getting into some really <laughs> well, it's, it's funny that <laughs> you bring really that slippery up slope us, territory, but because uh, in one version, well, one session of my Iron Age game, when they finally confronted the main bad guy at the end, um, the one of the characters did not want to kill him. She dragged him out into the street, um, shot both of his kneecaps off with this enormous handgun she had, and then just left him there to, to die, to bleed to death in the street. Uh, so there you go. It, it did go pretty dark at that point. Right. But I mean, I, 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 I want to say like graphic, you know, long, <laughs> long descriptions of torture can also be very visceral. Can also tell be us very, where the MacGuffin is, or I'm going to cut yeah. off your other ear. This is, this is where I think a lot of games that I personally have witnessed have gone a little dark and had to be reined in is when, uh, people, cause, cause players love getting information. They really do. <laughs> and they, and they hate not being able to get information. And they also like using their skills. And if one of their skills is interrogation and they like being creative and all of these things kind of come together almost in a perfect storm. Um, I don't know if this has ever happened to Daryl or Robert or, or Bill even, but um, oh, when yeah. I've been running games, this is the point where I've run into the most like, Hey guys, wait a second <laughs> moments is, uh, is interrogations. Yeah. Players really don't like it when their characters are interrogated in that way. I can tell you that. No. <laughs> no. Yeah, I uh, I had once subjected one of uh, one of the characters played by one of my one of my most patient players and uh, and spent like fifteen minutes torturing him and he didn't really care for that and I felt really bad about it. I was younger and you know foolish, but uh, let him learn. So don't do that, kids. Don't torture. <laughs> <laughs> players tend to like their characters not to have uh, their body parts removed or their characters' testicles peeled open like grapes. <laughs> wow. Yeah, no. Robert J. Schwab, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Wisdom of the Ancients. In gaming or <laughs> Right. Well, so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's a really good that's a really good point, Robert. I mean, you know, you just talked about how this this player reacted. Um as a GM, like can you could you tell our listeners maybe some warning signs? If we the, what are some things you look for in that player to to see that they're reacting to that graphic content, maybe the right way or the wrong way. When they start, you gotta look for right, right. (laughs) (laughs) I, you know, yeah, I think there there are, there are some pretty, I'm not sure there's always obvious tells. I mean, if you've got a really good role player, they may be just expressing their character's frustration and having their genitals violated. Uh, but then I think there's, there's, there's certainly the body language, right? I mean, I think that there is when you're role playing, you tend to talk more than you express physically, I think. I'm not sure if that's true, but I kind of, maybe in my experience, but there are physical, uh, body, uh, body language kind of things that people will do. Uh, you know, not looking at you is one of them. Uh, not meeting your eyes, uh, seeming, uh, starting to become detached from the scene and the scenario, uh, distraction, stuff like that. Those are all very, very clear indicators. You need to stop what you're doing and get back to the fun. Mm. One thing I've noticed is if you, if they stop making eye contact, if they just sit there and fiddle with their dice or stare at the character sheet instead of anyway interacting or reacting, they've completely shut off and are trying their best not to notice. Right. So that's a good sign that whatever you're doing, don't do that. And I, I want to say like we spent 
well, let me before we move on to this, this next thing, I actually want to make sure and let Bill uh, chime in if he had anything to say. No, no, you guys got it covered. <laughs> okay, <laughs> all right. Um, the next thing I, I want to bring us back around to actually something positive because we have spent a lot of time talking about like the negative aspects and how it, you know, how graphic content can be can make people uncomfortable or or make them want to leave or you know things like that, but. We started out by saying, you know, th- that these were ways to use graphic content as a storytelling tool. And one bit that I think we should talk about um, before we wrap up the discussion is about catharsis. Bill actually mentioned a little bit about this when he was just describing, you know, the character's actions against the main bad guy. Because taking out your frustrations on the main bad guy can be incredibly cathartic. Uh, in fact, uh, Aaron Alston, in his uh, famous book, Strike Force, he mentioned that there's a type of player called the Mad Slasher uh, who you know, maybe has had a rough week or has an overbearing boss or something. And when they get in the game, they want to not only kill people, you know, they want to kill the hell out of some people. <laughs> and this is kind of where like role playing can really shine as a way of, you know, kind of dealing with our issues and whatnot is, is through catharsis. And I wonder if there's anything you might have to say about this, Robert or Bill with regards to that and graphic content. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a spot on assessment of the, the catharsis side of gaming. I think that's part of the fun, right? Yeah. Anyway, I was, I was poking fun at, uh, the, the idea that really what we're doing in most role playing games is butchering hordes of people. But there's a reason why action movies are popular. And there's a re- reason why people like to see, play video games that are violent. Because I think it does release a lot of pressure from ordinary life. And I mean, hell, I watched Takashi Miike films. So yeah. So I think it's a very powerful tool to, and I think that's what, one of the things, one of the reasons why people do play. I mean, I know a guy, one of my, another anecdote. One of the guys who plays in my games is like, I don't really care what the story is. I just, I'm just here to kill shit. And I'm like, all right, man, that you're, I'm on board. I'll give you plenty. Of, I'll give you plenty of uh, hunks of meat that you can chop up. No problem. <laughs> and and ramping up the graphicness of that violence is probably going to, you know, enhance that catharsis right. rather than take away from it. Yeah, totally. He, you know, and, and the, I think when when you're doing this to try to forget about other problems and you want to, you want to indulge in a slasher film kind of sensibilities and experience, then yeah. And it's your job as a DM to do it. Well, it's not just real life either. Like you can have during the course of a campaign, you can have a particularly vexing uh, villain organization, uh, any kind of antagonist that can build up an, a, antipathy from your characters or from your players, actually. Yeah. And it, and it can be extremely, it, it can be extre- extremely uh, part of the fun to finally get to put the boot in against that bad guy. And that's where the catharsis comes in. And, and yeah, there's times where I have been tempted to be extremely graphic with, in fact, putting the boot in on some bad guys who I didn't care for. But I think that's, a, that's also good. That's also being a good DM though. Cause you've made a bad guy that I love to hate. Yep. And then I love to get graphic on. <laughs> yeah. It means you've gotten that emotional reaction out of the players whenever they're saying they're, Oh, he's not dead yet. Right. I'm not done with him yet. There's a great scene in this uh, really bad 80s um, or maybe early 90s B-movie called Dead Heat starring Treat Williams and Joe Piscopo. <laughs> and at the very end of Dead Heat, at the very end of Dead Heat, they kill the bad guy, but they have access to a resurrection machine. They're like, no, no, 
that was once was not enough for him. <laughs> they bring him back to life so they can kill him again. <laughs> and and that's where I'm coming from is like some some bad guys you're like that with it's like he, you know he doesn't get off so easy you know. <laughs> And I want to tell a quick story because this is the perfect time for it about graphic content. The very first thing that came to my mind was a, an adventure I'd played in. Uh, a good friend of mine named uh, Robert is he's called Dr. Bob's what we call him because he's like a, he's an entomologist in real life. And he was uh, running a game for us that was set in a universe that based on Takahashi Miike films. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, which included some pretty awesome bad guys. They were called Demons of Iron and Violence, which is just an awesome. It's a, that's a great term. It's an awesome term. Uh, but you knew you knew that the, the game was going to be completely wild and wacky and, and 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 different than anything you'd ever seen before. When he described very vividly to us that we had walked into a strip club and then we were later on attacked by some of the strippers who were using blowguns rather inventively. If you know what I mean. Oh my. <laughs> yes. And I saw that movie, yeah. Yeah. This is what this is where I was like, oh, it's that kind of <laughs> you know this this is the, the genre that we are now in. You know, it it it, it, it definitely uh, cemented the the tone. It cemented the milieu of the game. I, I in, may have to edit head. this part out, but the movie that he was referencing with that one, the scene popped in my head, so it's it's one of those things I have to share it to get it out of my head and put it into yours. <laughs> Catharsis. There's a scene where she uses that creative use of the blowgun against uh, one of the guy against one, the other good guy that they're about to team up with. And he catches the dart, but he gets sprayed with this red mist. And she goes, sorry, it's my time of the month. Oh, nice. You know, if, uh, if she has an STD, she doesn't have to dip the needles in poison either. <laughs> That's a slow death right there. <laughs> Yeah, and and one hell of a story to tell when you when you go to the doctor. But um, <laughs> all right, well we're getting close to last call. Uh, Mac is is giving me the eye, and uh, the Imperial Guards are being stopped by soon. So we need to make sure and give our guests a chance once again to tell the listeners where they can find them and what their latest thing is, because I'm sure both these guys have things in the works. So yeah, I'm Rob Schwalb. Uh, you can find me at robertjschwalb.com. You can also find me on Facebook. Robert J. Schwalb, uh, the guy with the really crazy weird pictures. Uh, I'm also on uh, Google Plus and Twitter. My Twitter handle is RJ Schwalb. The new thing that I'm working on, Dandy Next, which comes out, I think, this summer. So, yeah, fun. All right. What about you, Bill? Uh, let's see. I'm working on two projects right now. As I mentioned previously, I'm working on the uh, Savage Worlds conversion for the Widening Gyre, Steampunk and Magic. And I'm also working on a project called, tentatively called Gernsback, which is uh, retro sci-fi. It's uh, the future as Ooh. envisioned by the past, also for Savage Worlds and for the Hero System. And you can find... And who's going to be publishing those? Uh, Blackworm. Blackworm Publishers. Okay. And uh, you can find me online on my Facebook page at Taibo Bunny. <laughs> and I think I have a Twitter account, too, but I hardly ever go to it, so don't bother looking me up there, I guess. At this at this point, I should I should take full advantage of my power as a podcast host, which is not especially powerful. But I want to say I've already got Bill interviewed on my blog. But Robert, if you, would you mind at some point maybe being interviewed on my blog? I'll be happy to. Oh, fantastic! And you know, now that we've kind of moved moved past the the main thrust of the thing, I, I did want to say, uh, particularly to Robert, I'm a huge fan of your work. No, thanks, man. The Player's Handbook Two is is brilliant. 
first of all. Uh, really enjoyed that. And there was a blog post you had up in November. I, we referenced this particular blog post when we were going over the various editions of Dungeons & Dragons. We have an episode or two where Daryl and I uh, talk about the various editions. And for the listeners, you can find this on our <laughs> website as well. And during that discussion, I brought up this blog post you had back in November. It was about a realization you'd had about mechanics and fun. Do you remember that that uh, particular uh, blog post? Vaguely, which was it? The killing shit, doing shit post, or was it another one? I'll, I'll, anyway, the, the, go ahead. The main thrust of your blog post uh, said that you had you felt like you had kind of forgotten that the mechanics are there to enhance the fun, and that the the fun is not supposed to be all about the mechanics, if I remember correctly. Right. Right. Does this sound familiar to you now? It does. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I wanted to say I thought that was a very insightful blog post and I really enjoyed reading it because I think there's been a lot of games with mechanics uh, especially lately that have been kind of more about those mechanics and, and less about the fun and storytelling aspects of role playing. It's certainly a, a problem I think in game design because I think that uh, as a designer we want to do the next cool sexy bit and there's got to be some gimmick or some tweak that you've got to do to make it as awesome as it could possibly be and yet Really, it's just noise. I think that's really if the mechanics just kind of disappear behind the actual storytelling. If people's eyes are looking at each other and they're talking and they're laughing and they're excited or grossed out, that's what's that's what that's the best best kinds of role playing games. But when besides, I don't think I have ever played a role playing game in my entire life where there wasn't at least one house rule. Yeah, <laughs> there is no such thing as a perfect game. I'm I'm willing to say that to you guys. I think. There's one more thing we're going to say is about uh, there's conventions coming up, I think, for everybody. Uh, Bill and I are going to be at Genghis Khan, which is actually happening, will have already happened by the time this podcast I'm, I'm going to up. announce. It. I'm going to announce it in the episode I'm posting Thursday okay. to make sure everyone knows. And uh, Robert, what are the next conventions we can find you at? Uh, I will be at Gen Con in August. And, uh, and I will also, I'm a, I, as of right now, I think I'm a guest at Dragon Con. So uh, both of those. And that's, uh, Bill, are I'm you going any- to my first Gen Con this year. All right. Bill, Bill are, are you at anything other than uh, Genghis this year? Um, we are talking about doing Gen Con. I don't know if that's going to happen, but uh, you know, I'd like it to. And if it does, that'd be great. Sorry, Rob, you were saying something about Gen Con? Oh, I was just asking you if you got a room. Yes. <laughs> I, got, I, I, got a, I got a room down. It's the only time in the history of ever where someone has said the phrase, I believe, Damn it, I'm gonna have to stay at the fucking Hilton downtown for less money than the room I wanted in the first place. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this year they sold out of their rooms in twenty in less than twenty four hours. Uh again. So uh yeah, Gen Con, very popular. Yeah, I wonder <laughs> if it has anything to do with a new edition of a old game coming out. I don't know. <laughs> oh, maybe, possibly. Who knows? I don't know. <laughs> All right. Well, if I see you there this year, Robert, I'll see if I can bring my uh, copy of Sephiroth for free to sign. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to extend, on behalf of Daryl and myself, our immense gratitude to both of you for joining up. This has been the most heaviest subject we've ever discussed on this podcast. It's uh, It takes, as I said earlier, it takes courage to come in and talk about something that is this kind of heavy and deep. And uh, we both appreciate you both kind of, uh, very much. And I, I definitely appreciate the fact that both of you helped us address this very, very controversial topic with some levity as well. Yeah, levity and both levity and respect at the same time. You're welcome. Well, you're very welcome. And it goes without saying, but we'd love to have you both back on the show at some point in the future. 
Awesome. You bet. All right. And that wraps up episode 21 of the uh, Gamers Tavern podcast. May all your hits be crits. That about wraps things up for this episode of the Gamers Tavern. Wow, it's been a while since I've done one of these in tags, hasn't it? Um, I'd, I'd just like to once again remind you that our contest runs until March 10th, so get your entries in. Also, check out Gamers Tavern Game Table, our actual play podcast. The current game is Shadowrun, where man meets magic and machine, with new episodes every Monday. Next week, we take on a much lighter topic cyberpunk games guests adam jury and mike sherbrook join us to talk about near future dystopias and transhumanist games if you'd like to support our show please like us on facebook follow us on twitter plus us at google plus review us on itunes or just leave a comment at gamerstavern.org the Gamers Tavern is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 license. For further information, please visit us at GamersTavern.org. Until next time, the tavern is closed. <laughs>